Good morning. Again, welcome to this opportunity to, to be in God's word, to understand what he has for us today. Thank you for being a part of this worship service. Once again, let's pray as we prepare our hearts to hear God speaking to us. Father God, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the worship that has has led us to this moment. Thank you, God, that you're with us. And Father, we, we ask that you would speak through your spirit, that Jesus would be exalted and that we would hear from you so that we can respond in faith with our lives. Father, I pray over every person who's listening, who's viewing. I pray over their families, their homes, over their lives. God, we, we seek a fresh word from you. Thank you for these conversations from the scriptures. And we pray that uh, our hearts will be ignited with a flame, with a fire that demonstrates our love for you. We, we anticipate you speaking to us now in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Again, welcome to our teaching series, Conversations. I love that the Bible gives us many opportunities to, to engage with how Jesus drew into himself real lives at real times uh, in real moments of need. And Jesus carefully but firmly spoke truth into the lives of real people. Now, we've looked at several unique conversations that still speak today from the earthly ministry of Jesus. Uh, we've engaged with a conversation Jesus had with the temple authorities when he cleansed the temple. This proved his power and authority over religion. We also leaned in and engaged with the conversation Jesus had with the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And this revealed Jesus' power and authority over our infirmities. And we also discovered uh, some incredible truth from the conversation Jesus had with a demon-possessed man. In fact, Jesus had a conversation with the demons itself. And from this incredible conversation, Jesus' power and authority, authority was revealed over, over darkness and over Satan himself. And so the conversations we've engaged with from the earthly ministry of Jesus has brought us more significantly into understanding how Jesus desires that those same truths affect our lives today. But now we lean even more intently to look deeper within the ministry of Jesus to hear conversations Jesus had with his own disciples. These become some incredible words. Jesus spoke into the lives of those who followed him most closely during his earthly ministry. Well, I love how the disciples listened as Jesus described the the fulfillment of Old Testament words and how Jesus began to unveil himself to his disciples as the bread of life, as, as the truth, the living truth, as God's own son, as God in the flesh. So I can imagine walking with Jesus like the disciples walked and maybe uh, going to sleep at night wondering what the next day would bring and, and maybe the disciples had conversation among themselves of what Jesus had said and, and possibly what he might say the coming day. All these conversations revealing uh, the truth of Jesus spoken into his followers uh, contain some incredible truths for 
his disciples today, for you and me as followers of Jesus. Uh, one such example of a conversation Jesus had with his disciples comes from Mark chapter 14. So I invite you to, to turn there. Uh, as we discover a unique conversation Jesus had concerning the expensive ointment that was used to anoint Jesus. This becomes a phenomenal conversation, even a conversation that that was confrontive because there were some some gross uh, negligent and and wrong perceptions that were voiced here by Jesus on disciples. And Jesus spoke into their lives some truths that we truly need to have spoken into our lives today. If if I could title this conversation, I would lay the title upon these words as a conversation about honoring Jesus above all things. From Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, we engage with this conversation. And, and I love how uh, about midway through the conversation, Jesus said to the disciples concerning a woman who had come in to anoint Jesus with this oil. Jesus said to the disciples, leave her alone. Stop bothering her. She has done a noble thing for me. The term there in the original language, noble, reflects that which is good, that which is actually excellent and above all other things. And so Jesus spoke in to the lives of his disciples concerning the value that was revealed when this woman came into the setting where Jesus was reclined and recognized his majesty and his authority and anointed him. The alabaster box was broken open and this this spikenard, this special ointment was used to anoint our Savior. The story tells us the disciples resisted this and Jesus corrected them and led them to the right perspective. And so let's engage with this conversation by by entering herein through recognizing three episodes. Uh, the conversation actually demonstrates an event that, that can be understood in several episodes. I'm, I'd like to break this down for you so that you and I together can, can more effectively enter into the narrative. And then, once having engaged what truly happened, we can better benefit and grow from the actual conversation. So here are the three episodes of this event. Episode number one, honor is given. Reading from verse three of Mark 14. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, one who had had a serious skin condition. And as he was reclining at the table, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of pure and expensive fragrant oil of, of nard. She broke the jar and she poured it, poured it on Jesus' head. First, consider the episode of, of honor that was given. The house of Simon the leper is significant, although we, we have very little details of Simon himself. But nonetheless, Simon references one of many of those who had been healed by Jesus. Even more significantly becomes the chronology wherein this took place. If you look back to verses 1 and 2, you understand that that at this moment, there were treacherous attempts against Jesus, not just to arrest him or to push him out of influence, 
but to actually kill him. So in this very treacherous and, and diabolical moment where the Jewish leaders were attempting to, to actually kill Jesus, this beautiful and amazing event took place at the house of Simon the leper. The scripture tells us that this woman came in and we're not certain of her identity here in this narrative, but John's narrative names her as, as Mary. But nonetheless, what we find here is, is a beautiful demonstration of honor that was given. Now, Matthew holds a similar account that's almost identical in detail with the account in Mark concerning Jesus being anointed with an expensive oil or, or nard. Uh, in Luke and John, there are two distinct narratives of a similar event. So some might hold that the narratives simply read different, but actually one event. And others might assert that these are three different distinct narratives concerning Jesus being anointed. However, your interpretation may fall. You cannot miss the significance of what took place when this anointing was given and the honor that was so reverenced here. So, so look again at the honor that was given. This spike nerd was poured upon the head of our, of our Lord. This, uh, this spike nerd, this oil was actually something that likely came from a herb, more specifically the root of a herb that had an amazing and pleasant fragrance. The expense of this is proven by where such herbs were found. Much scholarship indicates that this type of plant could be found in places like uh, like the Himalayas of India. There are even some who say that this actual ointment and this alabaster box probably came imported from dis from some distant land like, like that of India because a similar oil and ointment is used there today. Uh, but nonetheless, the emphasis remains clear. This ointment was an incredibly expensive oil and a fragrant lotion that was poured upon our Lord. Notice the expense listed in verse 5. This oil would have been sold for what would amount on average to an entire year's wage. That amount would likely cite at 300 denarii. So an entire year's wage would be the equivalent of the value of this oil. What, what an amazing reference to the honor and the significance of the sacrifice of praise that was given by this one who came in. Because the, the import of the oil had to be cared for carefully, the oil was placed in an alabaster box. And so the, the oil became sealed. And the only way the oil could be poured was when that box was broken. And so the scripture indicates that she broke this box or this jar and anointed the head of our Lord. Honor was given. Well, that's episode one to episode two. Values became confused. We continue to read. Uh, after she did this, there were some, if you see in verse four, uh, this response by some that were there. There were some that were expressing their indignation one to another. So the crowd that was around this moment when the head of our Lord was anointed, the crowd became agitated at the expense. They 
they expressed their indignation one to another. So there was a type of murmuring that began to take place. And then we're not sure who, but John's gospel actually names Judas. Someone voiced this question. Why has this fragrant oil been wasted? What a bold question of of blindness to the moment and to the truth of this event. Why was this all wasted? Now, in deep Jewish history, there were certain laws that prohibited such a wasteful use of that which is dear and precious, especially something like an oil that could be used ceremonially. But this emphasis of the ointment being wasted did not come from some uh, allegiance to a a noted step of integrity or obedience to, to some law. The The question actually came from an indignation, a frustration that many felt. I find this interesting. Notice that the the story here reminds us that there were there were many who were indignant. They were frustrated. They were agitated by what they had just seen with the alabaster box being broken, the expensive oil being lavishly poured on Jesus. John's gospel in chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, referenced that Judas was indignant. Matthew's gospel references that the disciples were frustrated and indignant. And here in Mark, what we're told is that all those who were in this place, in Simon's house, were frustrated. So we know that it was not only Judas, but the disciples, many of them, murmured among themselves and became very frustrated at what had just happened. There was a obvious confusion of values. This woman came in and bestowed significant honor on Jesus. And those who were closest to Jesus, those who had been listening to his words, following him, seeing his amazing acts of healing and performing amazing uh, touches in the lives of broken people supernaturally, those men, those individuals who had seen this at this moment are indignant and they murmured among themselves. Uh, when you when you read that the disciples actually rebuked her, verse, verse 5, they scolded her. Uh, that rebuke, if you were to look in the original language, represents an imperfect tense of the Greek language, indicating that their rebuke continued to build. You've been in settings where one person makes a negative comment and then all the all the negativity begins to spread through others to almost everyone is sharing that same comment prompted by one person. I believe Judas likely uh, protested this and then others joined in. What we find interesting also in this confusion of values is that Judas made a comparison that was 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 heretical and hypocritical to say the least. Judas and some of the other disciples said, why would you waste this ointment when this expensive ointment could have actually been used to to be uh, transferred into currency so that the poor could be fed with the with the value here. See, John chapter 12 reminds us that when this protest came, Judas had already decided in his heart 
that this money was something he desired to control as he held the money purse for the disciples. And so we know this allusion to the feeding of the poor was erroneous and, and deceptive and hypocritical. So values were grossly confused here. Honor was given in such a magnificent way to our Lord, to Jesus himself. And then a pitiful excuse was raised so that they could be justified with their indignant attitude toward the lavishness of the oil to say, hey, we could have fed a lot of people with that oil. We'll soon discover how erroneous and how hypocritical that statement was. But obviously, after the honor was given, values were confused. And we see this a lot. We see that many times people lavish in worship and in praise and others who do not understand that become confused and can become critical of how people are bringing honor to Jesus. When this happens, we see the development of what is called our third episode. And that is a reprimand came. Jesus reprimanded. And this is what Jesus said. We, we alluded to this earlier. Now we see the full a statement of what Jesus said. Leave her alone. Stop bothering her. She's done a noble thing, a good thing, the most ex excellent thing. And you will always have the poor with you. And you can do good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could as she has anointed my body in advance for the burial. I assure you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. She gave honor to Jesus. There were those who did not like what she had done. So they criticized her through their indignant behavior. Jesus reprimanded them. And he reprimanded them on some incredible principles that unfold here in this third episode. Jesus reprimanded them by first calling their hand on the excuse that the value of the ointment could be a transfer to a currency that could feed the poor. Jesus said, you'll always have the poor. You can see in Jesus' words, his, his confrontation to those who were bearing this excuse by alluding to the fact that the poor are always here. I've never heard you value the poor when they've always been around you and yet you're choosing to value them now. You will always have that opportunity. And then Jesus said, but you'll not always have the opportunity to honor me in the way she did. Because you see this honor given through the all was not something that was, was out of sorts with the chronological events that were taking place. Jesus would soon be arrested, falsely tried, and would die a criminal's death on the cross. And then in three days, he would, he would raise from the dead. But this reference that Jesus made, she's preparing me for my burial, references that this anointing was a recognition that Jesus would, would become our Passover lamb. In deep Jewish history, there was the thought that when the literal Passover lamb would be prepared in, in the Hebrew history of God's people, an oil would be placed on that lamb because the lamb would be brought in some five or six days before the Passover so that the lamb could be prepared and cared for. Well, that historic reference to the oil then becomes an amazing reminder that the oil that this dear lady placed upon our Lord was a recognition that what he was about to do on the cross would bring salvation and redemption to all who would trust him. This became a significant uh, presentation and pronouncement of who Jesus Christ is 
not just as rabbi and teacher, but as Lord and as Savior of the world, as Messiah and as God who has come in the flesh. And so Jesus reprimanded the erroneous views of this anointing by by pointing to the gospel news of his coming death, burial, and resurrection. As Jesus himself said, she has anointed me for my burial. But Jesus also reprimanded them by attaching what the woman did to the gospel. Because Jesus said, I assure you, as long as the gospel is preached, and for over 2,000 years, the gospel has been clearly preached, reaching further around the globe than ever before at this very moment. And Jesus said, as long as the gospel is preached, what this woman has signified will be shared and will be proclaimed. She recognized the majesty of Christ. And that is exactly the demonstration of the gospel, demonstrating who Jesus Christ has become for you and for me as God in the flesh, as one who went to the cross and died for our sins and rose again as redeemer for man's sin, savior of the world. This is our Lord. And this became the message that honored Jesus above all things as demonstrated in these three episodes. Honor was given, but value was confused. Jesus reprimanded so that the significance of the message of his death and resurrection could be heard. How do we... How do we embrace this conversation so that our lives are are truly changed? Now, let me share with you three common tensions that I'm reminded of from this conversation. Because you see, this conversation, maybe unlike others that we've engaged with, demonstrated some significant tension. You remember, Jesus spoke in honor of what this woman had done. He affirmed her activities and the disciples resisted her activity. Judas manipulated the indignant behavior. So this tension existed between that which honored Christ and that which demonstrated the indignant hearts, even of those who followed Jesus. And so from the tension of this conversation, you and I can be reminded of some specific common tensions that often characterize, sadly so, the life of those who follow Jesus. Let me share these with you quickly. First, the common tension between what is good and what is best. Now, when the disciples and when Judas protested that this expensive ointment could have been used to feed the poor, they were referencing something that is good and it's always good and always demonstrates the goodness of the heart of one who fears Yahweh, who follows Christ. But here their protest was erroneous. It was used in a false way. But nonetheless, we still see this leveling of of what the woman did with a good notion. And we're reminded of this tension that can exist between sometimes our good notions and what is actually best. Jesus recognized that what she did was noble, that it was above all other things. I'm reminded of a story in Luke chapter 10. This is an amazing story and one that rings familiar in most of our ears. In in Luke chapter 10, we're told the story of Jesus visiting again this same geographical area. And he walked into the home where Mary and Martha treated him with hospitality. And Mary sat at the feet of Jesus listening while Martha 
busily prepared the meal and took care of all of the details of the hospitality. Martha then complained that Mary was not helping and Jesus lovingly, softly, but firmly corrected Martha, repeated her name a few times and said, she, meaning Mary, has chosen what is best. I think sometimes we become so focused on good things we're attempting to do, we lose sight of what is best, bringing our hearts before Jesus in genuine worship. Sometimes we uh, we evade and we leave what is best by simply embracing what is good. This is a common tension. And we don't really, we shouldn't live in this tension. We should focus on what is best, bringing full honor and glory to Jesus. But sometimes we can live in that tension of doing good things, but not honoring Jesus with the depth of our heart, which is the best thing. So that reflects a common tension. A second common tension we're reminded of from this story is the tension that exists between that which is for us and that which is for him. Now, if we were to address this question, what holds you in your place of commitment in the kingdom of Christ and in the church? What would be your response? What holds you in your place of commitment? to the kingdom, and to the body of Christ, the church. This becomes a significant question because at times that which motivates us might be more for us than for Jesus. All that we do should be truly about him and not about our obligations or our responsibilities. The the greater honor, the best is that what we do is always for him, not for man, not for ourselves, and not for some obligation. The tension that exists a lot for many people is that which is for us and for him. Many are caught in that tension where at times we we say it is all about him. But in our hearts, if we were really testing that notion, we would have to confess that we're still struggling to do things that are about us. And it's not about us. It's about him. This becomes the message of this entire conversation. Sometimes this tension is all too real. You may have heard the name of Matt Redman. He authored the song Heart of Worship, which has become uh, an amazing international anthem for the church around the world. This song, as beautiful as this song is, was birthed out of a very negative experience that actually became transformative for many people. Uh, Redmond references an event that took place at his home church in Watford, England, just outside of London. And this is what he said. The pastor seemed to, to sense that there was something missing in their worship services. And so the pastor explained that they just simply need to strip everything away, all get into a room with nothing but the voices of the worshipers and their Bible to see if they could still bring an offering to God. So that's exactly what this significantly large church of 20-somethings did. They stripped everything away that involved all the aesthetics of worship. They all met in a room with nothing but their voices and the Bible to see if they could still bring an offering to God. Redmond's song, Heart of Worship, It's All About You, Lord, came out of that experience. And that song has blessed people around the globe. Redmond himself, in a BBC interview, said this, I did not think the song would be that significant. I wrote it more 
personally. What an amazing opportunity we have right now to make the truth of this conversation very personal. Is it about us and the good things we want to do? Or is it about him and bringing him complete honor and glory? So that is another common tension in which many Christians live. The tension between what is for us and what is for him. Finally, a third common tension represents a tension between popular thought and truth. I love this part of the conversation. It's very significant for you and for me. The disciples are following the lead of, of a negative perspective. Hey, we could have fed the poor. And again, referencing the original language of, of this text, the imperfect tense of that reprimand when they rebuke the woman references a growing indignation. So what became as just a seedbed of negativism spread to others and to the group. And what became popular thought among the disciples was this is lavishing, but this is wasteful. This is not right. That became a common thought. I believe there were many sincere disciples up to this point who, who were amazed at Jesus. But then the negative perspective spread gangringus, <laughs> like gangrene all through the disciples fellowship. And this negative perspective grew and, and popular thought became embraced more than the truth. What was the truth? Jesus said that this dear woman demonstrated the truth. Because her anointing prepared him, signified the importance of his death and resurrection. The gospel is always the ultimate truth. And the popular thought and the negative common thought of the gathering of disciples attempted to override the truth. Oh, there's always tension between what the group thinks and the truth. There seems to always be tension to be tension between what is the common attitude of a culture, the common and popular belief, and the truth of the gospel. So let's not live in, in any of these tensions. Let's not wrestle with what is good and best. Let's focus on what is best. Let's honor Jesus with all that we are. And let's not live in that tension between what is for us and what is for him. Let's truly mean it. As Matt Redmond said, let's, let's make this personal. It is truly all about him. And let's not live in that tension between what the group is saying and the truth. Let's surrender all of our thoughts and let's surrender all of the things that reach our ears to the truth of the gospel. Let's bring every thought in submission to Jesus Christ. Let's bring popular thought, common beliefs in obedience to the truth of the gospel. And let's no longer live in these tensions. This is an amazing conversation, one that we've read many times. And I pray one that has truly encouraged you today. Let's not live in the tension that our culture can cause. Let's honor Jesus above everything in our lives. This becomes the meaning and the message of this conversation. So today, as we conclude this worship service, Consider the commitment, and let's not make this commitment half-heartedly or flippantly just with our lips, but let's consider the commitment to make all things in our life about bringing honor to Jesus. Is there an alabaster box in your life that needs to be broken open? Is there an ointment that needs to be poured? Is there something that you hold valuable over all things, and that one thing of value has 
has become a distraction to you serving Jesus. Break that ointment open. Break it open as an offering to God. And pour it on our Savior's head as as a way of, of recognizing that He is over all things. His death and resurrection signifies that from the very beginning of time throughout eternity, He reigns supreme as our Savior and, and our Lord. And maybe it's time for us to break open our alabaster box and to honor Jesus above all things, above our values, above what the group says, even above our own desire to do good things. May we honor Jesus above all things and may that commitment begin afresh and anew in our hearts today. Thank you for leaning into this time in God's word. I'd love to pray with you. Father God, thank you for speaking to us through your word. Thank you that this incredible conversation reminds us of our call to honor Jesus above all things. So God, lead our our, our lives, direct our steps so that Jesus becomes first place in everything in our lives. Oh, Father God, may may we not fall to the voice of the crowd. May we not fall to simply doing good things. May our passion be to honor Jesus in everything. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen. Hey, thanks again for being here. And there's a website location on your screen right now. Please use that. We are so sincere in welcoming you to reach out to us. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, the Bible says, if you confess Him as Lord, believe in your heart that He was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. And we know that God is, is desiring to bring salvation to your heart today if you, if you don't know Jesus personally. So please reach out. Uh, we're, we would love an opportunity to talk with you about what it means to know Jesus. Or use this uh, website lo- location to reach out if you're interested in knowing more about the ministry at King's Grant or, or becoming a member of this, uh, of this body of Christ. We, we would love to have that conversation with you as well. But most importantly, uh, do not log off today with, without reaching out to someone if you've never placed your faith in Jesus. We're here for you. We're here to continue the conversation Jesus began because Jesus' words are as relevant now and even more so than they were when they were first spoken. Oh, I pray that you'll hear Jesus reminding us of that which matters most, honoring, honoring our Lord above all things and remembering the gospel, the cross and the empty grave because that speaks life and the gospel is life because Jesus is life. He's the resurrection and the life. So I pray that you're trusting him today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of this worship service. We'll see you next week as we look once again at another conversation between Jesus and his disciples. God bless. Love you a lot. See you soon.